0: Okay, Hello, this is Karamjit Singh and welcome to Leadonomics FM, the only FM station you need to know about. Of course, that's a biased opinion. Anyway, so this is is, uh, Karamjit again. And on this episode of uh, Tech Talk, we will be discussing uh, potential uh, improvements in our Personal Data Protection Act. And Zoff's going to be handling that and he's going to be dialing in from the lovely city of Kuching. So you may hear a slight difference in the audio quality, whereas in the studio is uh, Kiran who's back after taking a one-week hiatus, and And uh, she had an interesting interview with a global vice president of Tencent called Poshu Yong. And we're going to talk about, uh, he's obviously going to talk to Kiran about e-wallets. And then I've got an interesting Malaysian company that is a potential unicorn. And these gentlemen are playing in the drone economy. So, more on that later. We'll uh, uh, pass the mic over to, not literally, of course, figuratively, to Zoff. Hi there. This
1: is Zoff. Um, Yes, I'm calling from Kuching today. Um, But last week, I was in KL, and I was covering a conference about something called GDPR. Now, uh, GDPR, for those who don't know, is the General Data Protection Regulation, which is Europe's... um, Regulation on how private data should be handled. And the most interesting thing I thought that came out of this conference was the announcement by Minister Gobind Singh that uh, Malaysia was going to improve its privacy laws. The only issue is that the minister himself didn't go into detail about what exactly was to be improved. But I think we can all agree there's benefits to the laws, uh, to improving these laws, both for uh, Malaysians themselves, and for Malaysia, the country.
0: Okay, that sounds interesting. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's a bit frustrating sometimes when when politicians throw this out. Right, we're going to improve this, or we're going to do that without giving you a specific time frame, and you wonder if it's something they just threw up at the spur of the moment, or there's already some planning being done. Because to me, if there's planning being done, they would say, yes, we're creating a task force. You know, and it, it's it's going off and running, you know, uh, uh, May 1st and they've got three months to come back to us. So when I don't hear specific details like that, I, I just worry about that. I don't yeah, know what you can do. So,
1: so Karab, you're right that he didn't give a timeline, which is, uh, well, you used the word worrying. <laughs> I'm, I would say uh, uh, it, it, it sort of doesn't give us uh, a milestone to look forward to. But uh uh, later on during the conference, uh, somebody from the MCMC did talk a little bit about the work they've been doing. And from what I'm seeing, and now this is just my personal opinion, from yeah. what I'm seeing, they've focused it on certain areas, I, I think. And they're, they're looking at it uh, in, in detail for, for certain things. Now, it does mean that perhaps they, they have started work, but bringing all these threads together is something still to be done in the future that's that's how I'm I'm looking at it now the two things that they looked they looked at one is on cross-border transfers okay. so that okay. means if a company in Malaysia wants to send personal data to a organization outside Malaysia yeah. yep uh, one thing you have to be careful is there's no point taking a lot of due care in Malaysia about about taking care of your uh, personal data, that as soon as you send it out of Malaysia, then there's no guarantee anymore.
0: Correct. Of what's happening to it and how it's being used. Okay. Yes. And, and this is something that sort of model after what the GDPR has done in Europe. Because exactly. Because they have these uh, rules about what you can do with data when you send it overseas. Very tight rules. Yes. Ideally speaking, of course... Companies would just would like
1: to be able to send data without doing anything extra. And what what is good is that a country like Japan, for example, okay. have recently raised the standard of their uh, privacy laws to the point that the EU recognised Japan as.
0: Good being the equal in terms of the, the stringentness of the uh, pers- p- privacy of data protection?
1: Yes, and what that means is that now, companies in Europe can send data to companies in Japan without any additional work.
0: Oh, okay. And that to me is like where you want to get to. Now, uh, the, the, the fact is Malaysia isn't quite at that level yet. Okay, of um, course there are a lot of things to, to be considered. But the, the thing
1: that I suppose surprised me a little bit was that is that, um, that Malaysia needs to develop this so-called white list of countries that Malaysia can trans. So there are presumably countries in the world
0: that Malaysia doesn't want to send this personal data to at all. Oh, interesting. Okay. And this, this list doesn't exist yet. And it's one
1: of those things that that uh, is... Uh, a lot more complicated than just ticking a box. So th- they say that's one of the things that's sort of like needs to
0: be overcome before we get anywhere further on this. Understood. That's what the representative said. Uh, the second thing they're looking at that got me excited is that they're looking at mandatory breach reporting. Okay, mandatory breach. So, ah, that's good. Okay. Yeah, so in other words, if, for example, a company in Malaysia
1: has had a breach of its uh, IT, yep. uh, de- of its database, for example, and that data is now stolen and out in the wild somewhere. Yep, A mandatory breach reporting law would compel that company to report that breach.
0: Okay, do they report and it publicly or they just report it to the MCMC and Cybersecurity Malaysia?
1: If, if it's following the model that's done in Europe with the GDPR, the reporting will
0: be to both the controller, so in in the case of Malaysia, probably the MCMC,
1: and also to the users that are affected.
0: Oh, you mean to each individual user, okay. Yeah. Now,
1: when I I talked personally to that individual from MCMC, um, he did
0: confirm this is what they're looking to go towards. Okay. Interesting. I think Zoff, beyond that... There is also, I think, because you know, WhatsApp is the de facto you know, communication uh, you know, a platform for, for most Malaysians. Eh? Whether you are communicating in English, or in, in Bahasa, or in Tamil, or in, or in Mandarin. and Somebody recently uh, shared a screen cap, or they were in a WhatsApp, or no, they were not in a WhatsApp group, but someone referred to them as a toxic character. And, and, you know, was mentioning something that the group should say something to her to, you know, to not get her involved or whatever. And she actually used that and her, 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 her lawyers have sent this person, uh, you, know, uh, a, a uh, you know, a defamatory, you know, a letter or whatever, you know, asking him to withdraw and make an apology. And I thought that was quite interesting. So just using a screen cap, uh, and I'm, I'm wondering whether this Personal Data Protection Act would, would cover, you know, what we say and share about people on WhatsApp also? Well, the, if it's like... The, so, the GDPR only applies if you're a company doing business. And in this particular case, it doesn't sound as if it's something that would really apply. Yeah, unless yeah, you're right. Unless, of course, it was...
1: Unless, of course, it was a company interacting on social media. <laughs> in which case, yes, then there would be some, some relevance there, probably.
0: Yeah, correct. And... Uh, um, in in this case, I it's just what, your normal privacy, you know, your normal existing laws out there, right, to protect people's reputation. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, there, there's a lot. The rules have changed, right, about what is private, oh, yeah. and what haven't Absolutely. Private. That's what it feels like. Yep. The ground so, has changed. So yes. I'm I'm always very conscious about that. For example, when
1: I'm interacting with people on Twitter. Oh okay. That, yeah, that I have to be aware that
0: anything I write on Twitter is out there. Oh yeah, absolutely <laughs> it's word. out there, of course uh, yeah. and okay, well, but talking about out there, this is a topic we could go on but hopefully we get a bit more clarity from the Minister the next time he talks about this so that we've got a bit more meat uh, to get our teeth into
1: Yes, the, the, I think the Minister also said that this is something that needs to be presented to Cabinet so I guess it would be nice to, ask,
0: to, to remember to follow up to say, so when is this going to happen Yeah, exactly Okay, we'll, we'll uh, ask him that question the next time we meet him at a public event. But with that now, uh, we will just wrap up the first half of the segment and we'll move to a quick break, after which we'll be back with Kieran, who's uh, itching to, you know, to have her say now after being away for the, for the last episode. We'll be back soon. Ever wondered what leadership is all about? Is it developed over time? Or are people just born with it? We believe there is a science behind leadership and we want to help you understand it. Take this journey with us as we hear from renowned leaders from all over the world over our range of shows, tackling key spaces in different industries today. Leaderonomics, the science of building leaders. And welcome back. And uh, Kiran, you're itching to go with your uh, story of this uh, very interestingly named uh, a Tencent executive You're about to talk about uh, I know e-wallets in Malaysia, so yeah. the, the mic is yours.
2: Yeah, so this was at an event uh, organized by WeChat Malaysia, WeChat Pay Malaysia. Okay. Uh, they've actually launched in Malaysia last year, but this was their event launch, I suppose. Oh,
0: so they were low profile, under the radar, right? Yeah, year.
2: so this launch was, uh, they had an experiential zone as well. Hmm. So you can, they set up like boots, um, simulated uh, boots of like, you know, Quimway stalls, uh, your local delicacies, your Marmat restaurants, yep. your KK Marts, so you could go and try out your WeChat Pay there. How effectively it works?
0: You should have just brought the vendors because I was in in Street in Malacca over the weekend, and there was you know some vendors selling very small you know uh, item, small ticket items below like five ringgit, and I saw the WeChat Pay sign there, and I asked the person if I were to buy something for two ringgit. Can I use WeChat Pay? They say, Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I was yeah. surprised.
2: So they even simulated. So over there, they priced things at like one cent, ah. and they actually brought the macchi from the Kuemwe uh-huh. from the you know uh, store to come okay. to the
0: to the, the event. Yeah, okay. and
2: she set up like her booth there so you could purchase from her. Wow, so that was quite good. Like we could actually see how it worked. Okay. And um, at the event after the event, I had an interview with Po Shu Yong, who's the vice president of Tencent International Business Group. Uh, they are the developers of the WeChat app. Okay. Um. So what he said was, WeChat. I mean, uh, e-wallets in yep. general is in a very, very early stage in Malaysia. Okay. So we have forty over e-wallets right now, and Malaysia is still at a very early stage. Um. He, in China, he said the whole journey took about three years.
0: Only three years. Uh, about thousand days. about three wow. years for okay. them to
2: fully adopt. Wow. So he, <laughs> he's. He's saying that Malaysia will take around the same time so in Really three years, that fast? Wow. Yeah, he's hoping in 3 years or faster that the um, landscape will change quite a bit. Okay. And of course not ho- fully
0: e-pay but just that it becomes mainstream, right? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Be- that think? the e-wallets
2: become more common that okay. you reach for mainstream. your wallet uh, for your e-wallet for your phone to pay rather okay. than your cards okay. more commonly. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Um, and at the event um, our finance minister Lim Guan Eng he uh, gave a speech and in his speech he shared some very interesting data points oh, okay. so he said that the use of cash in Malaysia is still very high at RM106 billion last year okay. so that's at about 7.4% of the GDP which is lower than our previous year 77 in 2017 oh. um, but it's still pretty high.
0: But the good thing is it is coming down gradually. So we're yeah. we're on the we're on the right trajectory in that sense.
2: <laughs> yeah and he also highlighted one benefit of cashless systems. Uh, he said it could potentially reduce corruption.
0: Really yeah? <laughs>
2: yeah. And he said that maybe that's why China's corruption is on a low because of all their cashless okay. systems in place. So I think that's what he's hoping for.
0: Did you ask the minister whether he's got an e-wallet? You should have asked him. Oh, what?
2: he was actually there. I don't know if he was using his own e-wallet okay. or they were helping him. They provided
0: him <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah.
2: So yeah, he was actually trying out the oh, okay. WeChat app himself. Good, good. Um, yeah, so I asked Po Xu what he thinks will actually drive the adoption yeah, in Malaysia. Yeah, question. Um, and he said education is very important but not so much online education the offline education is very very important so he said that actually the most um, the most... Effective thing is actually their bunting's their WeChat Pay bunting's that they put around. When people actually see that, then they get curious. And also, when they see someone else using the app and how convenient it is, that's another thing. Yeah. And I think the main hurdle for them is to just overcome the first time having someone try it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So they need to implement in a lot more outlets just to increase. The adoption. Okay. And he said once a user tries it for the first time, they will love it. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. Just Confident. About, uh? Yeah. I guess it's because of how convenient it is. It's just like our paywave. We find it so easy to use. So I think that's what he's hoping for. I
0: don't know in China, literally, is WeChat Nation now, right? Exactly. In WePay, WeChat Pay. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Correct. In China, uh, they have a reach of over 95% WeChat Pay.
0: Wow and, 95% Yeah
2: And WeChat Pay Is their most used Offline payment app So that's the QR code feature WeChat Pay Is the most used over there And Malaysia We are still very very early I asked them about some numbers Yeah But they couldn't provide yet Because it's still Very very early Nascent essence
0: stage Yeah Exactly
2: right. Uh, So Right now we have 40 over e-wallets And I asked him What, what does he think Is it Is going to take for You know To be the last one standing basically.
0: Oh I mean when uh, The shakeout happens lah Among yeah. the e-wallets it's Okay
2: how to be among the yeah. f- four or five. So, he spoke from uh, WeChat Pay's perspective. Okay. So he said, if you talk about e wallets just as a utility, as something you use to pay, it's not that attractive to users. Oh, as a
0: utility. But
2: that's that's why WeChat. What they are trying to do is they're kind of cr- trying to create like this whole ecosystem of like the social aspect of it as well. So they have their social media they have their chat function okay. and they have the payment function. Okay. So it's like combining all these three is a very powerful thing. So the mistake he says people make is mm-hmm. that you always look at digital payment as like the last mile. Like, oh, okay, okay, I just need to have this. Yes, you Don't yes. look at the ecosystem around it. Okay. Which he believes is very important. Is an area that they need to focus on for the Malaysian market because in the Chinese market, has already taken off. Yeah. Social payment, social gifting is very common there. All your iang pao packets, red oh, packets, okay, for festivals. Yeah. Is uh, very very common that over here not so much. Yeah, it still needs to become more popular.
0: Not at all. I think. I think if you ask, I think Zoff after the we can ask Zof after the uh, the Hari Raya right whether yeah. he knows of any of his family members who gave you know uh, 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 you know a uh, uh, green pack green packets, via, right via via e wallets via e wallets, uh. and even if Zoff himself right who is quite digital savvy whether Zoff will adopt that. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I, and it's all in advertisements right now already. All their Raya ads and stuff. Oh, is it? They have like this old pachi and uh-huh. grandfathers giving ang paus via e-wallets, Oh, right? really? Yeah? Oh, yeah. I haven't
0: seen those ads. I,
2: I saw a couple already.
0: Okay, that's good. So the push is already there. So that's the awareness he's talking about, right? Yeah. And festive seasons is when you ramp up and you, you get a bigger push, right? Interesting.
2: Um, And also the other thing is, I asked him about the sentiment that whether... I guess other countries in Southeast Asia, um, even Malaysia, whether we'll ever reach the level of adoption that China has right now. And he said... I doubt it. Well, yeah. So then he said, right now, maybe it can't be duplicated. But that's probably true only for now. Uh, He believes that down the road, it'll definitely happen everywhere, not just in Malaysia. Mm. Uh, As for their plans right now, I asked him what... What's the next target? Where they're ah, to ac- okay. and what market they're planning to enter? Uh, not yet. They haven't set sights on a, another market, or at least he didn't divulge. Yeah. But they are prioritizing their local markets in Malaysia and Hong Kong. So I suppose they want to drive that forward and drive the
0: really yeah Malaysia and Hong Kong. You yeah, think you know it's already mainstream in Hong Kong also? Huh? Kind of interesting that they still driving it Yeah, actually. It for the yeah. Haven't been to Hong Kong in years, so I don't know. I would assume. What's, what's going on in China is, is equally, you know, uh, strongly adopted in Hong Kong. So interesting he says that they're yeah. focusing on Hong Kong and Malaysia yeah, simultaneously. Yeah. Okay. Zoff, I don't know if you read, I think just two weeks ago, the city of Philadelphia was the first city in the US to make it mandatory that merchants cannot just offer e-wallets as an option. Because they say that that uh, is actually discriminatory. Yeah, yeah, You you were talking to, to me about this the other day, right? Because um, not everybody has e-wallets. Exactly. And if you're a merchant that o- only says I only accept payment in e-wallets, then there's a whole segment of society you cannot yes. uh, purchase your services. No, to be specific, the two segments are the elderly and also those who don't have bank really? accounts. In even in the city of Philadelphia. About over one third of the population in the city uh, of Philadelphia do not have a, a bank account, and that was really shocking for me. So you, you cannot leave out the, I mean the, the, like the, the B40 are vulnerable, maybe not the B40, but the B20 are definitely vulnerable and the elderly, you know, no matter in what income bracket you are. So uh, th- that's the concern, actually. Yeah, the, the,
1: the other concern that, that I don't know whether, Karen, whether you, you talked about this, but it's the issue of privacy, right? Mm. Because, uh, I mean, the, the finance minister said, yes, it will reduce corruption because it's harder to do undocumented payments. Yeah. But the flip side is that not suddenly, if you're using e-wallets more and more, then nothing you do is... Really private
0: anymore? You're leaving a, a, a data a trail. trail, right? Yeah, everywhere, and and of course somebody will be able to sniff that trail and pick up on it. Yeah. So, but yeah. anyway, talk, talking about pick up on it, we will just quickly go on to the third story. I think a company that has the potential to be a, a Malaysian unicorn, and they are playing in the drone uh, drone economy, and this is called Aerodyne. And actually, they were just in the in the media, I think maybe two days ago, because Lima. I don't know if Lima is still on it. Just finished. So UAVs is Unmanned Aerial Vehicle, right? Uh, so they were showing a, a sample of that in, in Lima and it caught the attention of the public. And they kind of thought that this was the early prototype of Malaysia's so-called you know, flying car, but it wasn't. But they benefited from the, uh, the misinformation or whatever that it is you know going to be a prototype. But they benefited from the, exp- uh, the, the exposure of that. So these guys are interesting because the, the founder, uh, co founder, Kamarol Muhammad. his, his co founder is his wife, so that's why he's a co founder. Huh? So the two of them founded the company. And he always, uh, his mantra is actually uh, better, faster, cheaper. And he says that he was in Tokyo once in 2017, uh, not too long ago, and he was at this, his favorite uh, food kiosk. I think it's called uh, Yo- Yoshinoya. And Yoshinoya, their tagline is tasty, low priced, and quick. And he said, when he saw that, he said, "Hey, that's actually our tagline, which is faster, better, cheaper." So it's kind of interesting. But he's built this company, you know, over the last few years, and not very—it's not a very old company. It only started in 2014. And now they, they recently, I think, two weeks ago, they announced that a Japanese venture capital fund has invested in them, and they're just about to like just just rocket off. And he also said that they have—they're uh, working on closing an investment from a large global company which is in the asset space to come and invest in them and that's going to take them to another level because you know as a drone company you're already uh, measuring uh, assets right for people (coughs) and this could go a really long way in terms of how companies uh, you know uh, assess what's on the ground and what's going on with them so very interesting what they're doing you should go and read the article on on our on our portal digitalnewsasia.com about aerodyne because this is a company going places, especially when they make their soon upcoming announcement of this, you know, large global company coming in as a corporate investor. And with the amount they just raised recently, so although they didn't disclose, I think it's it's in the single-digit US millions, uh, Kamarol and his team, you know, of, of Aerodyne staffers, and uh, they've got a lot of data scientists there also, are uh, really going places. So remember that name, Aerodyne? Drone Economy, Malaysia, has a world-class player there. With that, we've already come to the end of a show, right? Uh, three uh, articles uh, we, we spoke about, shared our thoughts on, and we look forward to seeing you uh, two weeks from now. And please, uh, you know, obviously, if you're listening to this, you are listening to the podcast, do find uh, the time to share this with some of your friends who may, who may find the conversations we have interesting, and uh, you'll be hearing from us again in two weeks' time. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.